You are now listening to a Providence Community Church podcast. For more information, please visit ProvidenceTX.org. On the screen, of course. So, um, again, Exodus 13, verses 17 through 22. So, if you're able, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Well, good morning. Hope you guys are doing well. My name is uh, Corey. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And if you are a visitor with us this morning, as we always say, welcome, first off, to Providence Community Church. Our, uh, our hope for you this morning is that we would make much of Christ during our time together. And because of that, uh, you would desire to return and, and join with us in covenant membership that we might uh, press forward together, making the gospel unignorable in our community. For those of you who aren't visitors and for visitors also, as Brendan mentioned, welcome to Palm Sunday. Welcome to the uh, beginning of, of Holy Week. This is a, a really, really good time that will culminate next week in uh, our celebration of the resurrection of Jesus through, through the uh, observance of Easter. We also have an opportunity to celebrate with some baptisms next week, which is uh, a great, uh, great reminder of, of that which Christ has done for us in, in saving, saving sinners like us. So one thing my family enjoys during Holy Week is the opportunity we have to spend time in conversation with our children, uh, discussing Christ, discussing salvation, discussing how that, um, how that applies to us. And there's a, a ton of resources out there on the Internet, free stuff that you can have, coloring books for the little ones, devotionals for the older ones. So uh, before we get started this morning, I wanted to encourage you, if you have children at home and you haven't participated in that during Holy Week or you're, you're looking for a way to begin um, a culture of, of family worship or whatever you want to call it with your children, this is a great opportunity with a lot of resources to get into that. So um, I would encourage you to do that. Uh, so this morning, as Lawrence said, we're continuing in our series through the book of Exodus called Out of Bondage, where we're seeking to learn more about the character of God through his deliverance of the people of Israel from Egyptian slavery. And last week, Court kicked us off in chapter 13 with a, a really great sermon, uh, talking through the Feast of the Unleavened Bread and what that meant and how that worked out. And for the sake of time this morning, because I have a lot of ground I'm planning to cover, I'm not going to do a ton of recap on that, but uh, rather I would just encourage you to go back if you have some time, listen to the podcast, and, and catch up if you missed that for whatever reason. So as Lauren said this morning, we'll still be in Exodus chapter 13, and I will be uh, finishing it off with verses 17 through 22. And what we're focusing on this morning is the divine providence of God in the exodus of the people of God from Egypt. So there, there are some things that, that um, in this passage of Scripture that are clearly take place and clearly happen simply because of the providence of God to the people of Israel as they are being let out. So we're going to focus on that this morning. And to get started, I'm going to read it again, and then I'll pray for us and we'll jump in. So starting in verse 17. 
When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of cloud, or excuse me, in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart before the people, did not depart from before the people. Uh, let me pray for us and we'll get started. Father, thank you that we have, we have the opportunity to gather this morning, God, and to worship you, to make much of you. Lord, I thank you that, um, I thank you that you have given us this time together. I thank you that you've given us one another and you've given us your word. I, I pray that this morning... Your word would go out, Lord, and it would find, find fertile ground, Lord, that, that hearts would, would be changed, would be transformed uh, through your, your holy scriptures, Lord. And I just ask that, that you would clear distractions from our mind this morning, God. You would clear whatever's going on outside of here that we might focus our attention on you and you alone. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So occasionally, and probably not as often as we should, but occasionally my wife and I have the opportunity to get out of the house and go somewhere together without a gaggle of kids following us around, right? Normally, my wife tells me all the time, she says, Corey, a date is not taking the kids to their sporting events. A, day, a date is not sitting at the ball field while, while the kids practice. So occasionally, we have the opportunity to go out together. And there's one thing that always happens every time we're together. I, I tend to drive most of the time. I'm a, I'm a controlling person in that way. It doesn't matter if I'm in the vehicle with my wife, if I'm in the vehicle with you, whatever. One way or another, I'm probably going to figure out to be the guy, how to be the guy behind the steering wheel. And um, when I go out with my wife and when I drive, the one thing that always happens when we get to where we're going and when we are selecting a spot to park, I will always, always park so far away from the building. In my mind, the closer you get, the more risk there is in, in, in parking your vehicle there. It's more crowded. Right? There's obstacles, tight spaces, um, kids that might dart out from behind the vehicle that you may not see. That's a, that's a legitimate concern. In a parking lot, you have potential to have dings on your vehicle when you come out when you do that. So I will go all the way to the back of the lot and preferably, if I can find it, find a spot that has an open spot on the left and an open spot on the right so I can swing my door as wide as it can possibly go as I exit myself from the vehicle. And then we will walk a mile and a half to wherever we're going. And it never fails every time, like clockwork. At some point, I can see her just sitting over there kind of boiling. And at some point, she'll say, Corey, can, can you park any further away from where we're going? And th this is rhythmic. This is one of those things that constantly comes up in our, in our relationship. And when I read the first part of verse 17 here, it made me think about looking for parking spots with my wife. Look at verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. So what the scripture tells us here, what did I say? Oh, yes, okay, good. That was the reaction I was hoping, but it was so odd that I was like, did I just, what did I do? Like, what have I said? Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> off to a wonderful start this morning. 
So the, the scripture is clear with us in 17. It tells us that there was a shorter way to get them to where they're going. There was a shorter way to their destination, but God chose to send them a way that would take much longer. And when we look at that, when we read that, the, the, the obvious question that comes to our mind is why? why? Why would God do this? Wouldn't he want to expedite that process for them? I mean, they, they had just spent 400 plus years in slavery to the Egyptians, and the moment has finally come for them to be delivered, and, and God chooses to take the long way home. And, and I think there's a couple of answers as to why this happened. And, and the first one, and probably the most primary one, is the hardest one for us to digest. And that is one of the first answer to why God would do that is because he is God. Right? Sometimes there's just no answer to the question why, and we have to remember that he is God and he knows. Now, I don't say that to you flippantly as though that is an easy thing for us to do. That is a hard thing for us to digest, but I believe it to be one of the most important truths that the believer must submit to. And I said it that way on purpose. Not that the believer must grasp, not that the believer must figure out, but that the believer must submit to. We have to, because our human nature will always war against that which wants to be in in control over what we're doing. I just talked about driving a while ago. There's always, there's these elements of control. We all have different ones in our lives. And when someone tells you that, hey, you are not in control, and things happen that you don't understand, and part of the reason or, or the reason sometimes is simply just because God is God and we are not. That's hard. That's hard for us. But as a believer, we must come to the point where we realize that there is incredible importance in submitting to that truth. I mean, for us, even when things don't make sense, God always makes sense. Even when things don't make sense, he makes sense. Divine guidance from God sometimes doesn't make sense. I mean, God was the Israelites' guide. He knew what was best for them. There was Moses. Moses was with him, right? Moses was giving them direction, but he received his direction from the Lord. And I think every one of us at some, in some way, shape, or form can look back at our lives and recall times where we didn't understand what God was doing. Um, I, I, years ago, I was 17 years old, and I tell this story because it was a formidable point in my life. I could probably spend an hour up here talking about it, but I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version. Um, I, I had a, a girlfriend, and, and this girlfriend, I, leg, I really thought at 17 with, you know, no life experience whatsoever, I really thought that I really loved her, and I really thought that we were going to get married. She lived about three hours away, so it was a long-distance relationship, and they say distance makes the heart grow fonder, and, and the heart grew fond. It grew, grew fond quickly in this relationship. I had met her at, at church camp, so we had come together, in my mind, under the, you know, the divine guidance of God. He had woven us together at 17 at the Baptist General Convention of Texas Leadership Camp. It was awesome. It was a place to be. And we were together for, I don't know, for a while, long like I said, a long-distance relationship, and one day... Back in, you know, 1999, 2000, when this was, there was a thing called AOL Instant Messenger. Some of you guys may remember. I would spend my entire day grinding through school, through practice, whatever I had, just to get home, to hit that dial up and hear that door come open. Somebody is getting online. And, that, and here, you got to remember, back, back in that time, there, there were no cell phones. If I called long distance, it cost like 10 cents a minute. There were restrictions on speech back then that we don't even understand now. Restrictions. And so AOL Instant Messenger was the way. And, and there was a night that I, you know, I logged on and, and you know, probably set my away message, going to go to the shower, be back, but whatever. And I heard the door open. And it wasn't her, but it was this other guy, this mutual friend that we had that I had met. And he sends me a message. And it said, all it says was, hey, dude, I just wanted to tell you that I'm sorry. And I was like, 
sorry. Sorry for what? And I saw her reply. And his reply to me was, oh, comma, she didn't tell you, question mark? And I'm like, this is a problem. Uh, long story short, uh, she had decided to enter a relationship with this other guy, and therefore I was, I was out. And I was devastated. It was so bad that my parents called my football coach, a guy named Daryl Barbet, great dude, and made him call me because I was just in a heap of despair. And I'll never forget he called and he said, uh, this is how he talked. He said, hey, hey, Bubba, Bubba, listen, listen to me. One day you're going to look back and you're going to realize that this wasn't it. And the reality of the situation is even though at 17 years old, I felt like I had figured it out. I felt like God had, had willed this relationship for me forever. The reality was that wasn't it. I, I, I thought that I was in, in love with her at the time, and probably as a child there, there was some sort of some element of that. But the reality is I didn't even know what love meant until I met my wife, until my wife and I started dating. And I think back on that, and I think about those formidable things that happen in our lives that are clearly part of the divine providence of God, leading us from birth till the time he takes us home to be with him. And these things that change that are devastating at the time, but in reality, when you look back on them, what would that be, 23-ish years later? Like, I think, wow, that would have been a, a major course correction for me. And, I'll be, and I go home every day, my house is chaotic. I don't want a course correction. I love the chaos I have now. So I'm thankful for God in that way. And here's the thing. That is, that's a humorous example as a child of dealing with something of that nature. It's a mild example compared to what some of us have dealt with or are currently dealing with that fall under the same category. Right? Some of us have, have lost a spouse or a child. Maybe you've received a diagnosis. Or you have financial issues that seem insurmountable. That list can go on and on. I could sit up here for hours talking through the different things that happen to us that show up and seem to change the trajectory of our life as we know it. They change the way we've always seen our time on this earth going. And Proverbs 16.9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And it's in these moments where these course corrections happen that feel like we will never overcome them, we'll never be able to get through this. It's in those moments that we have to cling to the truth that God is in total control and is working for his glory and our good even when it doesn't seem that way. And once again, that, that's not a warm and fuzzy truth in the moment. It's a truth that we must submit ourselves to because God intends to comfort us through that truth. We have to understand that no matter how much it seems our lives have been thrown off track, that God has not and will not leave us to lives of chaos and disarray. He won't do it. That's not, that's not his plan for you. There is purpose in that chaos. There is purpose in that disarray for you. And the second reason why God may have led them the long way or did lead them the long way is because his purposes must come to pass. Look at the second half of verse 17. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So here we get some insight. Scripture gives us insight on why God led them on this seemingly unorthodox path, right? He did not want them to encounter Philistine resistance and turn back to the comforts of Egypt. So we have we've spent some time addressing over the last several sermons that there was an element of comfort for the Israelites in Egypt, even though they were they were experiencing oppression on, on a large scale, probably oppression beyond anything that we can imagine, but there was at least some level of comfort for them there. They were being fed, they had shelter, they had work, they they were not out on their own, they were not just wandering, they were being given direction. They felt like maybe in some, in some sense that they had purpose. 
And even though they've seen the miraculous way God had released them from Egypt, what the scripture tells us is that had they, had they encountered an enemy as formidable and the resistance that would have been given to them by the Philistines, there would have been a temptation for them to turn around and return to the life that they've always known, the life that they knew was still there. That was a legitimate, legitimate thing that could have happened. See, the shorter route would have undoubtedly led to conflict with the Philistines, but what God knew about the Israelites that maybe they didn't know about themselves is that they were not yet fit for war. These are people that, as I said earlier, had been in Egyptian slavery for over 400 years. Their spirits at that point were broken by that slavery. They knew nothing other than defeat and brokenness. They weren't strong enough yet to enter into that type of battle. They weren't strong enough yet to enter into that type of battle. And God willed that they would be strengthened with lesser trials that they would face as they went the long way through the wilderness. Now, I want to I repeat that again so everyone catches what I said. God willed that they would be strengthened by lesser trials that they were faced as they went the long way through the wilderness. This is very, very important. It's important. It's application for us. God does not place trials on us that he has not already given us the strength to withstand. I'm going to turn to my Bible here to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It should come up on the screen behind me, but in in the event that I don't, I'll be in verses 1 through 13. I want to read this to us. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Focus on verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So that's Paul writing to the church in in Corinth, and he is referencing back to the Israelites, and he's talking about them, and then he walks into this verse 13, no temptation is overtaking you that's not common to man. He begins to preach this truth or give this truth to the Corinthian church. And, And the reality is for us and also for the Israelites in this moment, none of us can be tempted, afflicted, or persecuted by anyone or anything except by divine permission from God. I remember uh, several years ago, I was kind of wrestling with this idea here, and I, I listened to a, a pastor by the name of Joe Thorne that, that put a really good, he, he illustrated this concept really well for me. He was talking about the sovereignty of God in relation to the fact that we know that Satan still is active and, and working in the earth, working in the world. And, and what he said was that you have to think of it as though you're in a yard and there is a rabid dog in the yard with you. That rabid dog is going to destroy you if he's able to get his hands on you. He's going to at least try, but that dog is also on a chain. 
which means someone has anchored the dog into the ground, and it's only allowed to go as far as it is allowed to go by the one who's put the anchor in the ground. Right? And that, that's, that's sort of the concept we're getting at here. No trial has been given to us by God that will be stronger than the measure of strength God has given us to withstand it. He will never leave us, never forsake us. He will bear with us forever how long it takes to overcome. Or, here's the thing, we will always overcome because even if we don't live to see the day that we overcome, we overcome when he takes us out of this world and into his loving arms. That's the promise that we have in Christ. And he has not given us anything and will not give us anything that he does not also give us an equal measure of strength to bear. So either way, no matter what happens, the victory is ours through Christ, right? That's worth celebrating. We're going to sell this this entire week is about that. This entire week is about that leading into next Sunday. This celebration that even though there's mourning, even though there's tears, even though there's, there's crying, and, and, and we, we, we will see on Good Friday, we will, uh, we will remember the crucifixion and the death of Christ. The good news is that we know we will prevail in Christ. We know that. The end is written. The last chapter is done. And at the end of it, we win. We win because of him, not because of us. Not because of us. God gives us grace to stand when everything around us is falling. And at this point, the Israelites had not been given the strength yet to undertake a battle like they'd see against the Philistines. But we know that that strength is coming, right? That strength was coming for them. God would soon demonstrate not only his ability to fight through them in battles that we see in the future, but God takes them the long way. And in doing so, he demonstrates his willingness to fight for them through the parting of the Red Sea and the destruction of Pharaoh's army, which court will walk us through next week. So this is beautiful picture of God taking the long way home, doing that which we don't understand, going the long way around when it would have been a shorter journey. But in doing so, he does it because his purposes must come to pass. They must. And showing the Israelites his power and displaying that power was part of his purpose here. So it is for that purpose in verse 18 that the scripture tells us God leads them out of Egypt by way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea so that God may display his power. I'm going to move down to verse 19. Let me read that for us. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. So Joseph in Genesis 50, which we'll read now, was dying and spoke to his brothers. This is what he said. It's Genesis 50, verses 24 and 25. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So we remember Joseph, right? We remember Joseph. He was uh, sold into Egyptian slavery by his brothers because they thought their father loved him more. Uh, while in prison there, he interpreted Pharaoh's dreams and won favor with him. And through this, he ends up rising to power in Egypt and has mercy on his brothers when they come uh, to buy grain during the Great Famine, right? So on his deathbed, Joseph, on behalf of God, mind you, delivered a promise by assuring his brothers that God would come to their aid and take them to the promised land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when God did, when God did that, because Joseph said with authority that he would, when God did, Joseph's expectation is that his bones will be delivered to the promised land along with the Israelites. So he tells them in that moment, makes them swear an oath to him to come in and take him with them. So Moses, which this is, 
I'm thinking through this, and I'm like, this is very odd. This seems like an odd thing to do. Moses goes, he gets literal. This is not like hypothetical. He literally gets the dry bones of Joseph in a casket and took them along with them on the journey. That is incredibly odd to think about. That seems like one of those things that someone may make you promise, and you, you promise it, and then, you know, after some time goes by, you go, mm, I didn't, uh, I'm, I'm not really going to do that. I'm not, I'm not really doing that. It's, uh, oh, man, that, I, this isn't in my notes, but, but it, yeah, i got to tell you this. My parents lived in Baton Rouge for a while, and we were never dog people. We didn't have dogs when I was growing up, but they moved to Baton Rouge. They were lonely, didn't have any family around. Dad only knew people at work. Mom knew no one because they were in a new town. And this stray dog comes up one day, and uh, she starts feeding him like hot dog weenies, and the dog sticks around. His name was Buddy. Uh, they loved Buddy. Well, one day, Buddy was old, older than they thought when he showed up, and Buddy died. So my dad built a heavily fortified casket and uh, put Buddy inside of it and buried him in about a three-foot grave on their quarter acre in Denham Springs, Louisiana. So the time comes for them to be relocated back to Texas. They buy four acres in Crosby, and the first thing my dad does is dig Buddy up and bring him with him and put him on those four acres in Crosby. That's a true story. He hauled him four hours in the back. I'm assuming he put him in the back of the truck. He may have put him in the pastures. I don't know. I have no idea. They love that dog more than they ever loved any of us. I promise you that. And he, he carries him over. So here's Moses doing the same thing, literally getting the dry bones of Joseph, taking the casket along with him on the journey. For the Israelites, though, while it's odd to us and it's an odd thing for us to consider, for the Israelites, the presence of Joseph's bones going along with them was powerful. Right? It wasn't only a fulfillment of the oath made by their fathers, but it was an incredible reminder that God keeps his promises. He keeps his promises, the promise that he made through Joseph to take them out. This is an illustration that that promise had come to pass, and they had been waiting, once again, 400 or more years for this exodus. And here's the thing. What blows my mind is when you think about that time frame, 400 years, what that means is generation after generation had passed these promises along. Generation after generation, by word of mouth, to their children, to their children's children, it had, it had moved its way down. And generation after generation had died without seeing that promise fulfilled. And yet, here it is. Here they go. And they've got Joseph's bones in a casket, and they're heading out, and they're going the long way. Right? They were on the move. Joseph was on the move with him. God had to be faithful to his word. Therefore, this had to happen. This had to be part of the story. And here's the thing. The same is true for us today. But the same is true for us. Generation after generation have passed down the word of God, the promises of God, the truth of the gospel. And we, we can be assured that God fulfills all of his promises through Christ. As we said earlier, we can be assured of that. We know that. God has apportioned us the strength we need for today, and he promises to be with us through every bit of that, just as he was with them. Moving on to verse 20. We'll do verse 20 through 22. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from the people. So they are on their journey. The Israelites are being led out of Egypt toward trial and hardship that God intends to use to build their faith. He's given them Moses to lead them. They have Joseph's bones with them to remind them of God's promise-keeping nature. 
And the scripture tells us that he gives them his presence in the form of a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to lead them. And I have waited years. As a Southern Baptist boy, I have waited years to say what I'm about to say right now. Shekinah glory from the stage. Court and I laugh all the time because we came from significantly different religious backgrounds, and we have met somewhere in the middle. And I am more pews and organs, and he is more Shekinah glory and shofars. But it works, right? It works. This is kind of where we are. So when I read that, I was like, I, I've got to figure out a way to say that simply so people can, you know, can see that I am. I am a little charismatic. I am. I believe it. I believe it to be true. And what that means, is Shekinah glory, is, is the dwelling or the settling of the divine presence of God. And this is what we see here in the text with the Israelites. We see the dwelling and the settling of the divine presence of God with them as they go. And we have seen and we will see these two elements with them, cloud and fire, used throughout the book of Exodus to represent the presence of the Lord as we continue to move forward. God was with them. He was physically, tangibly with them. And this was a miracle. Let's not overlook that. We often think, oh, it's a, it's a good Sunday school story. That's awesome. No, this happened, and this was an absolute miracle that it happened. And we shouldn't just brush over it and move on. And the thing is, the Scripture also tells us that no matter what, it was never taken away. As we move our way through Exodus, you'll see that the, the, the Israelites had second thoughts. You'll see that they grumbled. Go back and reread what I read in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You'll see the litany of things that they did that would make us think that maybe in those moments a holy God would be justified in removing his presence from them, but he didn't. It was never taken away. In the same way that we cannot have it taken away from us once we are in Christ. It was always with them. It will always be with us, leading and guiding, a constant reminder of the glory of God. Now, here's the thing. When we read stuff like this, I think our, our natural bend is to say, man, that would be nice. It would be awesome. It would be so great to live this life every day with a tangible representation of the Lord following me and leading me everywhere that I go, out in front leading me, right? Pillar, pillar of fire by night, cloud by day, that would be awesome. My burden might be lifted tremendously if I had a tangible representation of the Lord following me and with me everywhere that I go. And to that believer, I want to say to you today, you do. You do. It's not a, a, a cloud. It's not a pillar of fire. But what I'll say if you ask, hey, what is it? I would ask you to look to your left and look to your right. Look at, look at the people that are here with you. Look at the people that God has given us. He's given us to one another. He's given us to each other so that we might bear each other's burdens, to remind each other of the gospel, to be the hands and feet of Christ in one another's lives. This is why we, we press so hard for relationship among, among the members of our church. We, you know, home groups are, are good for discipleship. Home groups are purposed for relationship. This is what's important that we say, hey, you need to be in some semblance of a home group because that is the catalyst by which you begin to build relationships and have this true community with believers that have joined here with us in membership. And, and that is one of the tangible representations of Christ that he has given us so that those people that are around us, when we begin to falter, when we begin to fail, when we begin to doubt, that community says no. It points our eyes back to Christ. And they do it imperfectly, 
right? And per, I mean, relationship is messy sometimes, but nonetheless, we have, to, we have to prioritize it because it is this. It is our tangible representation of Christ everywhere that we go. Another one, another one, the one that we have is, is communion. We observe communion every week here at Providence, and the reason we do that is because the Scripture tells us that when we observe communion, we remember Christ. We remember Christ's death, and we want to consistently, constantly be reminded of his death for the remission of our sin, for the forgiveness of our sin, and for the ultimate glory of the Father. This is another thing that the Lord has given us by which we may remember that he is always with us, and that's why we do it so regularly. We do it so regularly. I grew up in a church that, that did communion quarterly. And, and up until I got, you know, really got here, I don't even know that I understood the, the importance of doing it so often. I remember my wife comes from a Church of Christ background, and they do communion every day of the week, I think. I think the building's just open to come in and eat bread and do whatever. Like, they, they do communion quite a bit more. And I remember when we first started dating, and she started to go to church with me and reentered the church, one of the first things she wanted to do was sit down with my pastor and ask that question, why do you guys only do communion four times a year? And I remember talking with her and not understanding the importance of it. But when you look at it through this lens and you understand it as a tangible reminder that Christ has given us over and over again that he is always with us, it begins to make sense to do it as often as we can, do it as often as we meet together. And we're going to see another one next week, another tangible representation of, of Christ being with us when we observe baptism. Right, as each new believer, we're going to bring people up here, and they're going to be buried in a watery grave and brought back up to represent their new life in Christ. That is a reminder to us that God is still in the business of saving sinners. It's a declaration on behalf of the one being baptized that God has saved me, and now I am a part of this wonderful, loving family of God. We should celebrate that. Unfortunately, it becomes far too routine for us. Routine to the point that we can, we can watch it, we can see it, and we may not even be, understand or care about the importance of it unless it's somebody up there that you care about, right? That should, that's convicting to me because I've been in that spot. That should be convicting to us. We should see these baptisms, and we should not just brush them off as church culture. God's given us these things, tangible evidences of his grace to strengthen and encourage us as we go about our lives, and we would be foolish to ever, ever let those things become routine. It would be foolish to do it. I'm going to close with this this morning. For you and I this morning, ju just as it was with the Israelites, your life and my life are wrapped in the divine providence of God, and he is with us no matter how much we fail, no matter how much we grumble, and no matter how far we run. When you are his, you are his. You can't run far enough away. You can't flee into the wilderness. You can't you can't create situations in your life where God will leave you alone no matter how hard we try. We've all been there, right? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm just tired of this. It's a lot. Like, I just want to rest and, and do what my flesh desires. God, leave me alone, and he never does. He may leave you alone for a time. He may, he may let you wander long enough to be reminded that you need him, but he, if you belong to him, he, he will never leave you alone. And this is, this is the divine providence of God in our lives. That God is always there. He's always leading. He's always guiding. He's always forgiving. He's always loving. And he's always, always there to ensure that no matter what path we take, that it ends, like I said, whether we see victory over trial and temptation and, and sickness or, or whatever we're dealing with in this life, that we'll, even if we don't see that victory, that we will, we will experience the victory 
that comes from, from dying when knowing Christ and going to be with him in heaven, right? So my plea for you this morning, if you are not a believer in the room with us, I pray that today, this entry, this first day of Holy Week would be the day that you begin to consider Christ. I pray that, that you would take the time that, that's going to be allotted to us here while uh, those of us who believe and who know the Lord are taking communion, that you would, you would take that time to take inventory of your life, to, to cry out to God, to, that the Holy Spirit would be moving in your life even right now to lead you toward that eventual end, that you would not leave this place today without a relationship with Christ. Right? That, that would be my, my prayer for you. And if, like they'll say here in a minute, but I'll offer it here too, if that, that is you this morning, there will be pastors on the sides of the room that would love nothing more than to pray with you, uh, to walk you through that, and to counsel you through that decision. So let me pray for us this morning, and Brendan and the guys will come up. Lord, we thank you that, that you're good. And even when the circumstances of our life seem to indicate that maybe you're not, that we cling to the truth that we know you are. Lord, we thank you for, for your providence in our lives. God, we thank you for whatever the circumstances are that have happened over however many years we've been on this earth that have led us to this moment where we would sit next to people that you have purposely woven into our lives, God, to be a physical representation of you. Lord, we, we just we praise you for that, and we thank you for it, and we pray that, that we never reach a place that that becomes dull, that that becomes something that, that we don't cherish and, and truly hold on to, Lord, with, with every, every bit of might that we have. God, I pray for, for those in our midst today that don't know you. My God, I'm not foolish enough to think that every person in this room knows you. God, I pray that those that don't would be overwhelmed with your grace this morning. God, that, that the Holy Spirit would just make them miserable, Father, until they lift their eyes and realize that you, you are the only way. My God, I thank you that, that you are still in the business of saving sinners regardless of of how far we've drifted or our culture has drifted or our country has drifted or whatever, whatever else may be going on around us, God. We are, we're thankful that you are still in the business of salvation. And, Lord, and you're still in the business of forgiveness, and, and, and you have more grace for us than we could ever use in a lifetime. Lord, continue to grow us and strengthen us. Continue to um, teach us more about who you are every day as we go along. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.